So I don't know if any of the kids here have school meals, but um, I remember very clearly my first school meal. I was four, and I just got started going to school, and I would come home for lunch, but the time was, came that I was going to have a meal at school. And it was some kind of meat they were serving, and the meat, the, the piece that I got was very gristly, and I couldn't chew it. And... I, these very stern dinner ladies, as they were called, told me I couldn't go till I'd finished eating. And I was four years old and trying to chew this, and I was chew and chew and chew, and it wasn't going away, and they said, you can't leave, and in the end I was crying, and they didn't know what to do with me, and they didn't know why. And it was, uh, and so in the end they called my mom. And my mom came to the school, and what I needed at that point was not my mom to speak on the phone, but my mom with me. And with my mom with me, she said, what's the trouble, Andrew? <laughs> and she fished out this little bit of unchewable meat, and, and she took me home because I was in such a state at that point. But she was with me. And today we're going to talk about the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. And it's such a powerful word, not to kind of speak to us at a distance, but actually come with us. And in Isaiah 7, 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So uh, I've got a question for you today. Um, why did Jesus have to become a human? Why did he have to become a human? So I've got three answers to this. Anybody like to, to, to three correct answers? Anyone like to give a, a suggestion? Exactly. So it's, uh, he could suffer in our place on the cross as a perfect human because he had, in order to pay for our sin, he had to do it as a human. Uh, the second reason I've got is so he could show us an example of how we should live as humans. Because as he walked his life out on this earth, we can see how he behaved as an example for us. But that doesn't answer the question about why he should be born in such shame and poverty and filth. I mean, it really was. The Christmas cards don't do justice <laughs> to the kind of level that he was in a cave because that's where they kept the animals at those times. And in that cave, there would be animal poop everywhere. And he was in a feeding trough, like he was in the place where they put the animals' food. That's where he was born. Uh, it was only by God's grace that he didn't contract some sickness and die. It was the most unhygienic place. And then when he lived, it was in hardship and poverty. Why did he have to do that? And you can probably answer that question for me. Uh, it's so he can truly empathize with us. And we see the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That was the first point. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, uh, when it says call his name, it, in these days, you know, you'd say, well, you name this person. 
But his name is Jesus. But in those times, when you talk about somebody's name, you don't just mean what they're literally called, but the, the, um, the character that they have. And so his character, his position, his role is to be God with us. Um, so my goal this morning is to help us feel the closeness of Jesus, specifically when we pray, and to have a deeper sense of his empathy for us whenever we are struggling. And um, I've got a very simple plan for today. I want to talk about some stories of Jesus experience the pain of being human, and then some stories of him showing empathy and compassion, and then end by getting a sense of his compassion for us right now. And my main verse today is from Hebrews chapter 4. And we start off by talking about God's power. No creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. That's pretty scary, isn't it? It'd be pretty scary if there was somebody who could see every thought you were having right now, everything that's going on inside you. That's scary. Uh, and to be exposed to him in in everything. But... What makes a difference is his heart towards us. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest, and a high priest was the one who cleansed the sin. We do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Uh, this is an extraordinary verse. Because of this tender compassion, we can come to him when we're broken. When we, we are, you know, we've sinned, we've broken, we've failed, and yet we can come to him. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So this is a really powerful verse because it's speaking to our brokenness. And the fact that in our brokenness, we can come to somebody who really gets what it's like. It's not actually just the New Testament that speaks about this. We can see in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's patient and demonstrates great loyal love. He does not always accuse. He does not always stay angry. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us as our misdeeds deserve. For as the skies are high above the earth, so his loyal love towers over his faithful followers. As the far as the eastern horizon is from the west, so he removes the guilt of our rebellious actions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. For he knows what we are made of. He realizes We are made of clay. That is so moving. That just, when I read those verses, that touches me so deeply because his God, he's so high and yet he has this compassion on me. He sees that I'm just clay. Like he said, sees my own weakness and, and, and understands that in the way he forgives us. You know what it's like when somebody really shows you some understanding and some compassion and they're there and you know they they're with you 
Um, and particularly when you've really messed up. Um, not, not that long ago, I had arranged to meet somebody at a cafe at, at 9 a.m. and, and it was an important meeting and I was determined I wasn't going to miss it. And I got up early and made sure I had everything ready and was there ahead of time. Nine o'clock came and they weren't there and 10 past nine, they weren't there and 20 past nine, they weren't there. And I checked off on my laptop and realized it was the afternoon I was supposed to be meeting them. I was just so annoyed with myself. So what did I do? I called Anne and she said, oh, no, you poor thing. That must feel terrible. I've done that kind of thing. And she kind of, because I felt she was with me in this, I was able to to just, just feel okay. It was okay. And um, so another time I was having a very frustrating time with the computer. And, you know, I Googled this problem and I found this and this and this and I, by the time I'd finished it, I'd wasted maybe two hours. And I called Luke, my son, and we talked about it. He said, it just feels such a waste, doesn't it, when you do that? Like, when, you know, you're trying to find that problem, and he understood, because I know he does the same sort of thing, and uh, understands the same kind of problems that I do. And thus have felt somebody gets, somebody knows what it's like to be where I am right now. They get it. They get the situation. How much more can can Jesus do it? But can he really do it? Does he really know what it's like for us? Uh, so I want to spend some time now talking about what Jesus has done and can do to understand us. So tired, hungry, and homeless. We read earlier in our series in John, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was wearied from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. He was tired. He was physically tired, wearied and hungry. He said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. Have you ever been like that, that you've been so busy, you haven't had time to eat? Jesus knew what that was like. He knows it and he He and his disciples, he said, come on, love, we've got to have some rest from this. As they were walking along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have dens, birds in the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was sleeping rough. Jesus was actually sleeping rough. Now, times people would take him in, like to Bethany, but... This verse tells us that didn't happen all the time. He couldn't guarantee it. Jesus knows what it's like to be in that vulnerable position. Longing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have often longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. That just like broken hearted over these people. Now, here's a. Here's really quite significant one. The deepest pain we can feel, I believe, is relational. The biggest hurts you can have in your life are relationships. Jesus understood betrayal, loss, separation. Um, I remember when I was 12, um, I was um, betrayed by my best friend, very, very nasty way. And I was so upset. It was night and I, I didn't go into the house. I was outside in our yard, just crying under a tree uncontrollably. And my parents found me out there and this little 
sobbing 12-year-old brought me in and managed to get out of me what had happened. And to my surprise, they showed me empathy. Like, <laughs> what are parents going to understand about a life of a 12-year-old, you know? But they did. And like, I can still remember my surprise. Wow, they actually understand it. And it was like so comforting that they would understand this experience of horrible betrayal that I had. You know, Jesus had real friends. Like we tend to think, you know, he's God. He's like living this, this supernatural life. But we read Jesus speaking, I've called you friends because I've revealed to you everything I've heard from my father. He had the 12 who were his friends. Luke 22, we read, now the hour when Jesus, now when the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles joined him. And he said to them, I have passionately desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, that word passionately desired is translated this in the English. But the Greek word that's used is actually the same word as is used for lust. It's not in Greek, doesn't have a negative connotation. It's just a very, very powerful emotion, an extreme emotion. And the way it's used in the Greek here is actually doubled. It's twice there, which doesn't really translate well. We translate passionately desired, but it's like I have literally in, in, in passionately desiring, I have passionately desired. That's kind of how it literally, and it's the strongest way you could write like a deep, emotional compulsion to be with these people and this is how he's feeling towards his disciples and uh, it's we just have to understand Jesus did need friends and he these people were his friends and when someone understands you it feels so good that uh, you feel they get you and you can almost feel the pain in Jesus when his disciples didn't get him and they didn't understand him. Like in John 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? and You still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Like, come on, Philip. Like, I thought we were doing this together. Have you not been paying attention? You can kind of feel the yearning. And then it got worse because his friends left him in the hour of his greatest need. Um, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you'd have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. They didn't get him. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and became anguished and distressed. This is Gethsemane, shortly before he's going to be put to death. So he takes with him, you know, Peter, James and John, were the three closest of his disciples, like the closest of his friends, the ones he shared his heart with. And you can see this is why he took them with him. This is why they're there. He said, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Be with me in this. This is so hard. I need you with me. Stay awake with me. Well, you probably know the story. Going a little further, he threw himself down on his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Can you feel Jesus' humanity there? 
Like, this is, these are his closest friends. He's broken by this. They can't even stay awake. I'm just trying to show you Jesus' humanness that he has experienced some of all of these range of emotions that we've experienced. It gets worse than that because all of the disciples fled and left him. Except one did even worse than that. One hung around and denied him. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. This is before. This is his boasting. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. So what happens? But this is to fulfill the scripture. The one who eats my bread has turned against me. When he said this, Jesus was greatly distressed in spirit and testified, I tell you the solemn truth, one of you will betray me. In Psalm 49 and verse 9 we read, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared meals with me has turned against me. So this is a quote from the Psalms, and uh, this quote is from um, uh, David, and the story with David was that David's son Absalom started a rebellion and wanted to kill his own father. And Absalom was trying to kill David. And, and that must have been pretty bad, mustn't it, for David to know his own son wanted to kill him. And his own son started, uh, and it was, his, it was quite um, uh, effective in terms of the, the numerical strength he had. Things didn't look good for David at all. David had a close friend, one of his closest friends, from him from the, from the beginning, who was his advisor. And he would trust everything to his close friend. His, this close friend decided to turn against David and go and join Absalom. So he could advise Absalom on how to kill David. Can you imagine what that felt like for Jesus? Sorry, for, for David. To have his dearest friend join his son to advise him on how to kill him. That's the kind of betrayal. This is the psalm that David wrote for Psalm 41 verse 9. When this happened to him, Jesus quotes this about, about when he was betrayed by Judas. So that level of betrayal, because although Jesus knew ultimately Judas would betray him, nevertheless, the scripture tells us he was close to him, like he'd actually had that friendship with him. Um, and then most of all, abandoned by the Father. In uh, Mark 15, we read, around three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know that he was abandoned because he was carrying our sin. And Jesus had to take on our sin, and the Father couldn't look at him while he was carrying our sin. So he was abandoned so that we should never have to be abandoned. He suffered in our place, the place of everyone who trusts him with their life. And if you want to be in, to, to receive this forgiveness from God, you, you, all you need to do is to ask Jesus to take it upon himself, and he will do that. 
You ask him, Jesus, I cannot survive. I've done wrong. I've done, I've, I've, I've broken your law. I'm going to have to, to pay for that one day. Please, would you pay for it instead of me? And he will. And that is the extraordinary news of the gospel. So Jesus suffering in our place, the place of everyone who trusts in him. But it's very helpful here to see what Jesus was quoting. He's quoting Psalm 22. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read the first couple of verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken, are you abandoned me? I groan in prayer, but help seems far away. My God, I cry out during the day, but you do not answer. And during the night, my prayers do not let up. That's a psalm, again, by David that Jesus is quoting. So uh, let's come back then to Hebrews chapter 4. What about temptations? Hebrews 4 says that Jesus was tempted in every way like as we are. Is, does that make sense? Um, this is a mystery to an extent, because how can somebody who can never sin be tempted? Um, is, is it even possible? What, what's happening there? And this is something that is people have, have debated for 2,000 years. I want to say to you, if it wasn't real temptation, it wasn't temptation at all. We, we have to hold on the one hand the fact that we know that Jesus would never sin, yet the temptation was real. It actually was a fight for him. A whole range of temptations. In fact, it says every way. So somebody said to me, well, was Jesus tempted sexually? And that sounds like an odd question, but the answer must be yes, because he's human. And like, if he wasn't tempted sexually, he wasn't tempted in every way, just as we are. And the temptations were real. And he had to put effort into fighting them. The fact that we knew, know he would never give in doesn't change the fact he had to fight every inch of the way against temptation in the same way as we do. And he knows what it's like to feel the temptation so strongly and so powerfully that it seems that we can't, we can't but give into it. So Jesus not only suffered physically, suffered emotionally, suffered relationally, but he was tempted as well. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. So a plan, stories of Jesus experiencing the pains of being human. And now I'd like to look at a few stories of Jesus showing empathy and compassion before we finish. So I was just going to go through the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, showing a few places where Jesus showed empathy then. Matthew 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's such a vivid metaphor, isn't it? Like sheep without a shepherd, they're like just scattered. They've just got no idea, nowhere to go. And he had compassion on them. 11.28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Aren't those beautiful words? Jesus saying, I'm gentle. Come to me. I'll give you rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 14. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 6. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were, and again, similar words, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said, I've compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. You know, when you're tired and hungry, Jesus has compassion on you. Like, he knows what it's like. He's compassionate on them physically at this point. He knows what it's like to feel pain in your body and to feel exhaustion in your body. And we come to Luke. Luke 7. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And in those days, there was no social assistance. You had to provide for your parents, and her only son dying would mean she would be completely destitute. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And of course, he raised the son up from the dead. That, that, those are lovely words, aren't they? His heart went out to her. And you know, this is the gospel. Jesus sees us in a destitute state and his heart goes out to us. So much so, he's willing to give his life for us. Willing to, to give everything he has because his heart goes out to us. Chapter 8, but he took her by the hand. This is, this is Jairus' daughter, this little girl. He took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. He's just raised her from the dead. But he's thinking of her. You know, she's probably hungry. His spirit, her spirit returned and at once she stood up and Jesus told them, give her something to eat. He's got this sensitivity to what her needs are. And then I'm going to end with chapter 12. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So I'd like to come to the end now, and the worship team can come up if they would, please. And I'd like to just leave these verses up for a moment and just ask you to... See if you can feel Jesus' compassion for you now. What are you feeling now? What are you feeling in terms of the struggles you're going through right now? There's probably almost everybody here has got something that they're struggling with. And the ones who don't are in denial. There's something you're struggling with. And I just want you to get a feeling of Jesus now compassion and empathy with you he says 
I caring for the sparrows. Like, I know how many hairs are on your head. You know, I can count them right now. You don't even know, but I know. I'm with you. So I'd like us to close our eyes right now and just to, to, to think of what it is that we're struggling with and just get a sense of Jesus' empathy with us right now. Just feel that Jesus understands. He knows what it's like for you right now. He gets it. He's been there. He knows the pain you're in. He knows whatever kind of stress you're under. Let's just bring it to him now, shall we? Just I'm going to leave a moment of silence. Just, just bring this prayer to him. Just bring it to him. He's the, the one who sympathizes with all of our weaknesses. Just bring it to him now. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who right now can be with us. You're not a God who's distant, but God who's God with us, Emmanuel. We call you Emmanuel now, Jesus, and we, and we praise you and thank you that you're with us now. Lord, may in this coming year, may we know your presence and your empathy more and more. Amen.